Hello, and welcome to an episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine's COVID Conversations. During this special series, we will feature conversations between scientists, doctors, and trainees as they navigate the coronavirus pandemic. So I'm a third-year PhD student at the Yale School of Public Health, specifically in the Department of Epidemiology of Microbial Diseases, um, and I'm in Nathan Grubal's lab. So um, we, before the pandemic, focused on mosquito-borne viruses and their evolution, and now we've switched gears to studying the coronavirus. So you said before you were focusing on mosquito-borne infections, so what sort of infections would those be? Yeah, um, so dengue, West Nile virus, Zika virus. Um, we mostly focused on um, viruses that are carried by the Aedes aegypti mosquito. So you might have heard of that in Aedes albopictus because of the Zika epidemic um, a few years ago. So um, we're here in New Haven. Uh, are those diseases or mosquitoes that are found here in New Haven? Not really, no. Um, West Nile virus. Oh, West Nile virus is, I think, um, it's not one that I've studied. I think it's actually transmitted by a different mosquito. And that is, um, that came into New York in the late 90s. Um, and that was like a um, kind of banner public health crisis in a way. Um, and that has spread across the country. But um, yeah, one of the reasons we didn't really, we didn't get impacted by like, again, we don't have dengue here, or, like yellow fever, for example, because we don't really have like the right kind of um, climate or mosquitoes. Mm, yep, the, the climate here is just not hospitable for those mm -hmm. certain types of mosquitoes. You know, it's interesting because here we are in a pandemic moment, and uh, I must say that I think the first real public health crisis that I remember was West Nile. Um, really, yeah. I, remember, I really remember when that hit, and you're seeing it on the news, and they would talk about like the cases all across Connecticut. Uh, probably that and Lyme disease. I think about both of those, we really hear, because I was born and raised in Connecticut, so we really... Oh, yeah. Um, both of those kind of materialized in the public eye at around the same time, which was like late 90s, early 2000s. And so I was like maybe 10 years old, nine years old when that happened. Um, so I was like kind of cognizant of what was going on in the world around me, but what I wouldn't give to be back at that moment as opposed to what we're dealing with now. Seriously. Yeah. Um, so kind of like, I guess as we start to think about this pandemic, um, when did you first kind of realize that something may be coming? Like something big could be coming for us. I mean, we know what has happened, but like, when did you start to, when did uh, the, the you know, COVID-19 kind of pop up on your radar? Um, well, like right when I got back from, from break, um, I TA for a class that Nate teaches, that Nate mm -hmm. or teaches, called um, Genomic Epidemiology of Infectious Diseases. So even right at the beginning of the semester, there was starting to be these reports coming out of China of this novel coronavirus because um, they had just sequenced it. So um, we talked about it a little bit in class, but at that point it didn't really seem like it was a problem. But then we started hearing about how, like, even though Chinese officials were like kind of downplaying the threat they we knew at the same time they were building hospitals and um, rolling out all of these um, sort of large scale uh, measures to counteract and that sort of I think raised flags for a lot of people that this is probably a little bit bigger than um, we were sort of led to to believe. The uh, announcements that uh, you know, the governments were making Chinese, U.S. and otherwise were almost like um, 
contrary to the actions that they were taking. They kept saying, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. This isn't that bad. But it's like, if it is fine, you wouldn't build a hospital. You know, yeah. You well, in the U.S., we weren't doing those things. We were just saying it was fine and we weren't doing, we weren't scaling. Pretty central tenet of like disease controls to like do a lot of testing. It was just that there wasn't the capacity to do the testing at the time. So mm-hmm. we had to sort of limit our like resources or we had limited resources. We had to limit who we were testing. Do you think this will change then for the future? Or do you think this will kind of be like a panic reset? There are a lot of people like you and me who are, you know, students of public health at this time and will go on to be hopefully leaders in public health. And we surely will not forget this, this moment. Then do you think this has kind of shaped your career path? I mean, you mentioned how like yourself, myself, you know, we're almost like the stewards in this, like we, you know, are students in public health, we understand the implications of it, you know, we can understand like the research that's going on, which is amazing to watch happen in real time. Um, do you think that perhaps this has like changed the way you uh, kind of view your career path or maybe look at like your interaction with the general public? Um, so uh, sort of ironically, in many ways, it's actually solidified my career path. So when I was applying to graduate school, so before I came to Yale, I was at the NIH and I was doing clinical research in a lab. So all my training had been in the wet lab um, in, in college as, as well. Um, so when I was applying to grad schools, I really only applied to a handful of public health schools kind of on a whim because I sort of thought I would just go to straight biomedical research route. But part of me realized I, I really like, you know, the human aspect um, and sort of the practical application aspect of, of science that you do in the lab. So yeah, I was kind of on a whim. And then when it came down to it, I, I realized that the program at Yale was the sort of the perfect fit for me because I could do the wet lab and also the, the, the application part. And I, I think it, it, it's it still on my resume or still on my CV and definitely in like the letters I wrote, um, of like the letter of intent or whatever it is that you submit to grad school that I, I wrote a lot about how I wanted to study public health because I wanted to pursue a career in disease control um, and prevention in resource limited communities. Um, and here we are. <laughs> now the U.S. is a resource limited community. Like we're, you know, we have a shortage of PPE, a shortage of nasal pharyngeal spas. We have all of these testing shortages. Um, so and, salient for this moment, just like, yeah. it's, oh my gosh, it's almost like, uh, like prophetical in a sense, like you, yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> just so yeah. bizarre. Here we are. Yeah. So in, in a lot of ways, it's a bit surreal because on the one hand, it's extremely stressful and I would change, I would, you know, change it all in a second to go back to, you know, doing my dissertation on dengue virus and, you know, not having that and, you know, being able to go to the gym again and not doing any of this. But at the same time, it's like, this is what I thought I wanted to do. And I definitely, like now I'm doing it and I still feel that way. Mm. Um, so that has been, a, yeah, an interesting sort of twist in, in my uh, graduate, graduate school career. Do you think this has changed your timeline? Actually, I think that this will speed up my timeline because um, the pace of research that has to happen in the midst of a pandemic is just so much faster than, you know, anything else. So having those time pressures and also because we have, we have these cohorts we're collecting or building this bio repository of samples from all of these different um, individuals, like that's my data collection. Like I'll go into the lab today and I'll process, you know, hundred, like 9,600 samples or something. And like, 
I can put that towards you know my my dissertation. Mm-hmm. So so in a way, the data collection is is a lot faster, and in publications are also a lot faster too. Like we just had one um, come out in it, it's like a preprint in cell, mm-hmm. um, but that whole process took maybe like three weeks from the time Nate conceived of the project to the time we got it like um, accepted into the, the, the journal. If you could go back to maybe beginning of March mm-hmm. or middle of March and like you could tell yourself one thing, what would that be? I think I would just, um, I think I would tell myself that, um, or like remind myself that it's important to be flexible and I think, and, and patient. And I think that those are the two main things I have to return to and I'm feeling anxious and, and stress over the situation. It's like, you just have to sort of go with the flow and you have to be patient 